How's your relationship with Jesus? Or let me ask it another way. Do you want, do you desire to grow closer to Jesus? Now, my question is for folks that know Jesus, that have a relationship with him. You may be here today, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. If that's the case, we're going to invite you at the end of the service to give your life to Jesus, to follow him in repentance and faith, and experience salvation, forgiveness of sins. You can be born again today if you'll turn to Christ. But I'm asking the question of folks that are born again, folks that are saved. My question is, how's your relationship with him? Do you want to grow closer to him? Well, this morning in Acts, we will see some insight. We'll gain some insight into how we can experience a closer walk with Jesus. So turn there with me, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, as we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book. We're going to finish chapter 14 this morning, and then as I said earlier, the next three weeks we're going to talk about the significance of the town of Bethlehem. The sermon series is titled, O Little Town of Bethlehem. So I'm excited about sharing that with you. But this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 14. We will begin reading in verse 8. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Trusting you did? Okay, all right, good. Good, all right. I had pecan pie for breakfast this morning. Can I get a witness? All right, all right, amen, all right. Acts chapter 14, verse 8, the Bible says, Now at Lister there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today not according to our righteousness, but according to your mercy. 
And we come to you in the name of Christ and ask you to move in our midst. Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the truths of Scripture. And Lord, give us the the wherewithal to obey what we learn. Because Lord, we know your word says you're looking not just for hearers of the word. Lord, you are looking for doers of the word. May we be doers of the word. May we be resolved to leave today committed to live for your glory. Would you have your way in our midst? Give us grace in these moments to lift up the strong name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. To just remind you of the context of Acts chapter 14, we find Paul and Barnabas on what scholars call the first missionary journey of Paul. They were sent out by the church in Antioch in Syria, and they traveled to Cyprus for a time, the hometown or home island of Barnabas, and they made their way to Asia Minor. We know the Bible says they went to Antioch Pisidia in Asia Minor to preach the gospel, and then they traveled from Antioch Pisidia to Iconium, about 90 miles southeast of that city. Then the Bible tells us earlier in chapter 14, they were run out of Iconium, And from there, they traveled to Lystra, about 20 miles southwest. And then we see that they traveled to Derby, about 58 miles southeast of Lystra. So I'm giving you that mileage to give you a feel for these these journeys they were taking. They were uh, walking long distances to preach the gospel of Christ. And in our text here in Acts chapter 14, we see that in these cities of uh, Lystra and Derby, they experience some... Some different things. They experience a variety of things. And what I want to show you this morning is is that these different experiences helped them to know Christ in a more personal way. What I want to do is I want to read Acts chapter 14, this passage, through the lens of Philippians chapter 3. So hold your place in Acts 14, but turn to Philippians 3. And these words of Philippians were written sometime after his time in Lystra and Derby. But they give some insight into Paul's desire. And we'll see how this gives us some insight into Acts chapter 14. So look there with me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now here's the context of Philippians 3. Paul, earlier in the chapter, shares his religious resume. Paul reminds us that he was born a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He was trained to be a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader, a very devout Jew. And he's sharing in that chapter his his qualifications to, 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 to... command the respect of the Jews as a religious leader. And what Paul is saying in Philippians 3 is basically this. I lived a life where I tried to earn a righteous standing before God. I did all the externally righteous things that I thought I needed to do for God to accept me. But then Paul says in Philippians 3, there was a time when all that changed. I met Christ and entered into a personal relationship with him. And he says, all the things I used to count on, All the things I used to trust in, all my religious actions, I count as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing 
Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul's saying this, I tried religion and I've experienced relationship. And a relationship with Christ is so much greater than religion. Because religion is when you try to work your way to God and you'll never get to God in your own strength. You're a sinner separated from God. Your only hope is Christ. He says, now that I know Christ, I have fulfillment and peace and joy in my life. He talks about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And then notice what he says in verse 10. Not only do I know him personally, I want to know him more. I want to grow in that relationship with Christ. I want to grow closer to Christ. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. And if it helps me to know him more, I am willing to experience his sufferings. Now, you know what we see in Acts chapter 14? We see Paul experience the power of the resurrection, and we see Paul experience the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We're going to see how these things can help you and help me to grow closer to Christ. For Paul, knowing Christ, listen, meant that he experienced an ongoing, deepening relationship with Christ. I want to show you back in Acts 14 how they experienced Philippians 3.10. So look there with me, Acts chapter 14. I want to show you, first of all, how Paul and Barnabas experienced the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. There are four aspects to the resurrection power of Christ that they, they experienced in this text. First of all, they witnessed his healing power. Look there with me in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. They come, they come into town to preach the gospel, and they see this man who was lame. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. His entire life, he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice. Now, I was thinking about why Paul used a loud voice. And I believe Paul used a loud voice because of his great faith. He believed God was really going to heal this guy. Now, if it was me, and, and sometimes I struggle with, with great faith. How about you? You ever, you ever had weak faith before? I can just imagine if it was me in these moments, I might have said it a little bit quieter. Get up and walk and see if it worked, Right? Before I got everybody's attention, hey, get up and walk. I, you know, I don't know if I would have had that kind of faith to say in a loud voice, hey, everybody look. I'm going to say to this guy, get up and walk. And guess what? Because of the healing power of God, what's the guy do? He gets up and walks. And so Paul says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, he sprang up and began walking. So, as we've seen all throughout the book of Acts, God sends supernatural signs and wonders to accompany the preaching of the gospel, to authenticate the credibility of the messengers. So they come to preach the gospel, and God sees this, uh, God heals this man, the people see this man healed, and they witness his healing power. So Christ is saying, I mean, Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know his resurrection power. I want to see his resurrection power. Here in Acts, he sees it, doesn't he? He sees that power on display. Secondly, not only do they witness his healing power, they experience his protective power. His protective power. Did you notice what happened in verse 11? When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So these people believe they are 
gods. But when they figure out that they're not gods, things change. Look what it says down in verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, it's easy to read a verse like that and just move on. Stoning was excruciating. Stoning was awful. They would either put somebody in a deep pit and stand around the edge of the pit and pelt them with stones, or they would bury some, somebody, sometimes from their waist down, so they could not move, and they would throw stones at them. And they threw so many stones that they thought he was dead. It says they drug him out of the city, th- thinking that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So Paul is stoned in Lystra, left for dead, and yet he gets up the next day and goes and preaches. What's happening here? I believe this is the supernatural protection of God on his life. I believe this is supernatural. I don't believe he just said, okay, I feel better now for my stoning. Let's go preach some more. I think God touched him, don't you? He got up, and the next day he's going back to preach. I believe he's experiencing the power of God in his life. Something supernatural is happening here. He's experiencing the protective power of God to to save his life, to, to, to spare his life so he could go on preaching the gospel. And then... Not only did they witness his healing power and experience his protective power, but they trusted his keeping power. Look what happens in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they appointed many elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so Paul and Barnabas backtrack, which is amazing to me. They go back to the place where he was just stoned. Takes some courage, doesn't it? I mean, you want to you doubt Paul's perseverance here? He goes back to where they just stoned him. And they retrace their steps to, to towns where they had preached the gospel. And they meet with believers to strengthen and, and encourage them. And I love what it says there. In verse 23, it says, They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas are saying here, listen, we can't stay here. We can't stay with you. But we know that God began a good work in you. We know that he will bring it to completion. We are placing you in his hands. We are trusting that God saved you and that God will finish what he started. God will keep you. And they were able to witness the, the keeping power of God. He saved folks and God kept them by his grace. They were in God's hands and Paul trusted them as they were in, or trusted God as they were in his hands. But then fourth, they observed his saving power. Look what it says in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. So they're in Derby. They preach the gospel, and they see a lot of folks saved. And then notice what happens in verse 24 of this chapter. It says, They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. They spoke in the word in Perga. They went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they, they, that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas backtrack their missionary journey, and they go back to Antioch, Syria, the church that had sent them out as missionaries. And you know what we have here at the end of this chapter? We have the very first global impact conference. It's what it is, right? 
they're gathering together and the missionaries come back and say, here's what God has done. And the people are rejoicing. And Paul says, I want you to know that a door of faith has been opened to the Gentile world. We're preaching the gospel and folks are getting saved. And they're sharing this with the church in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas observed God's saving power. They saw the Lord calling people out of the darkness into his marvelous light, given eternal life and abundant life through Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that if you want to experience the resurrection power of Christ, if you want to see the resurrection power of Christ in your life, share the gospel with folks. Because when, when you see someone saved, you know, what, you know what you're experiencing? You're experiencing a front row seat to witness the power of God changing someone's life. Amen? And so they observed his saving power. And so Paul says in Philippians 3.10, written sometime after this, but he said, hey, I want to know Christ. I want to, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Here in Acts 14, he experiences that power. Thrilling to see Paul walking in the midst of the supernatural activity of God. They experienced the power of his resurrection. But secondly, and here's where it gets difficult. Not only did they experience the power of his resurrection, they experienced the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know you, Christ, even if it means that I have to suffer. I want to know you more. And in Acts 14, we see that they experience suffering as they serve Christ. Notice they experience, first of all, misrepresentation. Look what it says in verse 19. They're there in Lystra preaching the gospel, and it says Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Paul and Barnabas had already been to those cities, and these religious leaders come because they're enemies of the cross, and they come into town, and it says they persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. So these, these religious leaders from other cities come into town, and they misrepresent the teachings of Paul and Barnabas. They misrepresent their message and turn the crowds against them. Paul and Barnabas experienced misrepresentation. And can I tell you this? In our culture today, don't be surprised when you try to live for Jesus and share Christ with others. Don't be surprised when our culture misrepresents you to make you look foolish and to minimize your impact, to marginalize you. That's what our culture wants to do right now, our country. People want to marginalize Christians. I saw this terrible story about the shooter of the, uh, in the Planned Parenthood clinic in, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it wasn't long, did you notice it wasn't long before people started tying this shooter into pro-life Christianity. And they said, this deranged individual, he was deranged, probably demon-possessed. This deranged individual represents pro-life Christians. Do you notice that happening in our culture? Media saying that, uh, well-known folks saying that. Listen to me. He doesn't represent pro-life Christians. He's a deranged individual. He needs Jesus, right? But our culture wants to say, hey, here's what pro-life Christians are like. They go and shoot people, right? You know what that is? That is misrepresentation. 
They're, they're trying to make us look bad. They're trying to marginalize our impact in the culture. Don't be surprised when that continues to happen. So listen, if you're going to follow Christ, be prepared for it. It's coming in an ever-increasing way. They're misrepresented. Also, they experience fickle crowds. Fickle crowds. This is interesting. Look what it says in verse 11. When the crowd saw that, uh, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So these are pagans. They, they worship Greek gods. And they believe because they saw this man healed that the Greek gods had come to them. It says in verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Now, it says that Paul was called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, Hermes in, in the Greek pantheon is the messenger god. So because Paul's speaking, he must be Hermes, and the older guy must be Zeus. Uh, that's what they're calling Barnabas. And it says, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, verse 13, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to, to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now, this is all happening, and Paul and Barnabas don't know what's happening because they're speaking in Lyconian. They don't know what's happening. But look what it says in verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they understood what was going on, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. Paul and Barnabas are saying, Listen, we're not gods. We're men, and we're preaching to you about the living God, the one true God. And they preach this wonderful message there in that city. But notice how the crowds are in awe of Paul and Barnabas. Even as they explain things to them, look what it says in verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice. And these folks loved Paul and Barnabas. They thought they were awesome. But look at the next verse. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, the same folks that wanted to worship them and put them on a pedestal, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Did you notice how quick the crowd changed? from wanting to put them on a pedestal, now they're stoning Paul? Paul and Barnabas experience fickle crowds. And we know this is what Jesus experienced, right? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what were the crowds saying? Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were worshiping Christ as a crowd. But then when the religious leaders wanted to have Jesus killed, they went to Pontius Pilate and whipped the crowds into a frenzy. And some of the same people that were saying, Hosanna, were now saying, crucify him. Crowds, listen to me, crowds are fickle. That's why the church ought never to appeal to popular culture. It's not going to work to try to get people to like us more to try to fit in what's going on in our society because crowds are fickle. Crowds that will cheer you one day will turn on you the next, right? And that's what Paul and Barnabas experienced. Just like Jesus, they're experiencing suffering because of fickle crowds. But then they experience just physical harm. It says in verse 19 that they stoned Paul. Awful. They stoned Paul. He's experiencing actual physical harm because he's there representing Christ and the gospel. So what do we glean from all of this? Listen to me. This is so important. If we desire to fully obey Christ, we can expect suffering. 
Do you hear what I just said? If we desire to fully obey Christ, to really live for Him and represent Him in our world, we can't expect suffering. But that's okay, isn't it? Because in that suffering, we get to know Christ better. Listen to what John Piper writes. The more earnest we become about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world and reaching the unreached peoples of the world and exposing the works of darkness and loosing the bonds of sin and Satan, the more we will suffer. In other words, when we act like Jesus, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised when people treat us like they treated Jesus. Remember that before Jesus was resurrected, he was crucified, right? So as we try to represent Christ and follow in the steps of Christ in this world, we can expect to be treated like Jesus was treated. We can expect to suffer. But here's what's awesome. This goes back to Philippians 3.10. In our suffering for Christ, we will experience the fellowship of Christ. There is a closeness to Jesus that you experience in suffering that you cannot experience in any other way. Oh, that was good. I don't think you were listening. Listen to what I just said. There's a closeness to Jesus that you experience in suffering that you will not experience any other way. Isn't that what Paul said? I want to know you, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. So even in Acts 14, as he's being stoned, you know what's happening? He's growing closer to Christ. That's what's happening. J.A. Motyer says it like this. In desiring to follow him as faithful cross-bearers, we are not left alone. He keeps fellowship with us. We are not copying a dead model, but walking in fellowship with a living Savior. John Patton was a Scottish missionary that went in the 1800s to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. And the people that lived on these islands were well known as cannibals. And John Patton knew they were not real welcoming to outsiders. But he took his family there and began ministry, preaching the gospel on the New Hebrides Islands. It wasn't long before the leaders of the peoples on these islands were stirred up and began to be antagonistic towards John Patton. As a matter of fact, there was one time when his house was surrounded by people that wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, a man picked up an axe and came running to him. Another man stepped in the way with an iron implement and blocked the axe, the swing of the axe. It would have killed John Patton. And John Patton actually wrote about those moments when he was surrounded by people that wanted to kill him. Here's what John Patton wrote. He wrote, Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made, and yet, with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed to Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Do you know what Patton's saying there? As I was suffering, In the midst of intense persecution, I placed my trembling hand in the hand that was once nailed to Calvary. And I experienced a close fellowship with him in those moments. And that's what suffering does. Suffering is an opportunity for us to place our hand in the hand of Jesus. 
and know that he is with us in those moments. In suffering, we grow closer to Christ in a way that we can't apart from suffering. And Paul said, I'm willing to suffer if it helps me to know Christ more. And here in Acts 14, he's suffering, isn't he? He was stoned and left for dead. So let me just sum up what, I, what I'm trying to get at in this sermon. This is in your notes. It's under the point of the entire message. Experiencing Christ's power and identifying with Christ's sufferings will help you to know Christ in a greater way. Let's say it again. Experiencing Christ's power and identifying with Christ's sufferings will help you to know Christ in a greater way. So here are my closing questions. Do you long to experience Christ in a greater way in your life? Are you tired of just going through the religious motions? I mean, do you really desire to know Christ better? Is that your desire? And that leads to the second question. Are you willing to leave your comfort zone to experience Him in that way? Paul and Barnabas left the friendly confines of the Antioch church, and went into a dangerous area. But it was outside of their comfort zone that they saw the resurrection power of Christ and they experienced the fellowship of his sufferings and grew closer to Christ. So are you willing to grow closer to Christ even if it means suffering? Even if it means you go through hard times, do you long to know Christ more? Here's what John Avent says. I'll close with this quote. When Paul thought about God, he was desperate to know Him as He really was, to daily meet Him where most people would never go. And so his life was filled with a power most people know nothing about. If you want to experience Christ in a greater way, you got to be willing to go where most people won't go and do what most people won't do and experience what most people don't want to experience. But it's worth it because Christ is worth it. Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings.